I've been talking about what I believe is what the what I call the end run or the bottom line is another way of saying it of what God calling is upon our lives. Now, it could be said in other ways. Uh, For example, we have been chosen, called of God to bring glory to him. That's one way. But the way that I've been talking about is what Jesus said in Matthew 22. And that was the, the last, towards the end, the last thing he said when he was asked the question, uh, what is the first of all commandments? Now, it's not the only time in the Bible that that came up, uh, but it is the, uh, the time that it came up just before, the week before he went to the cross. And so he says, the first of all commandments is to hear uh, the Lord our God is one God, and He uh, and that we are called to love the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, and strength. And uh, this isn't, like I said, the first time that this is posed to Him, but uh, this is the time that we've been talking about. And uh, he's actually quoting from, uh, I'll give you the addresses if you haven't written them down by now. He's actually quoting from the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 6, verse 5, Deuteronomy 10, verse 12, and Deuteronomy 30, verse 6. And then it's quoted, like I said, in a couple other places in uh, the Bible, Mark 20, 12, 29, and 30. And uh, Luke ten twenty seven, where Jesus is quoting these same verses, and the other one is in Matthew twenty two, verse thirty four through thirty seven. And in Mark twelve and in Luke ten, he's responding to the same question or same time period. He says, "The Lord our God is one Lord. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God." And uh, if you take all of those verses of Scripture together and you uh, look up the, the word and the Greek and everything and the Hebrew, and some of them say it differently, but it says, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy service, heart, soul, mind, body, spirit, Strength, ability, force, emotions, thoughts, your will, your intentions, your attentions, your focus, your desire. We had uh, script uh, scriptures as uh, where the the songwriter singing. Draw me close to you. Uh, I think that was uh, a Michael W. Smith song. I've heard him sing it. I think he wrote it. I may be wrong about whether he wrote it or not. But that's my favorite version 
of uh, singers, uh, and there's a number of them that have sung it and recorded it. But you know, the, the another side of that, it says uh, in James, the uh, fourth chapter. Yes, James, the fourth chapter. Draw near to God, and he will, King James says, nigh. Same word, near. Draw near to God, he'll draw near to you. So which is it? God, draw me close to you, or uh, draw me near to you? When he says, for us to draw near to God. And, you know, well, it's both. But it begins with God, you see. Because in order to, let's go back to this, what I said before, I believe that calling this the end game or the um, bottom line, Jesus said that the greatest of all commandments. Now we know from the old, uh, from Galatians and Paul's teaching that in other places, and not just in Galatians, it's not in other places, and not just Paul, but other writers in the New Testament, say that the Old Testament and the commandments of the Old Testament, the law of Moses, was impossible to keep. That's why they had to have the sacrifices for when they failed. So it was impossible. And uh, the thing is, though, is so when Jesus says it's the first of all commandments, and all the rest of them. In other places, this is all the rest of the word in the Old Testament. Rest on these two commandments. Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, mind, body, soul, strength. And thy neighbor as thyself. The second is like, love thy neighbor as thyself. That one's probably even more difficult. You know, For starters, you know, <clears throat> you know, Paul said something that, kind of disagreed with in uh, I've got, I got people perking up when they said that in Ephesians where he says that um, it's that place that everybody likes to read the other person's mail but they don't like to read their own it's a place where it says and they forget the first one where it says submit yourselves one to another in the fear of God. And then it says, wives, obey your husbands. You know, that's the part that the women don't particularly like to read, but the men do. <laughs> wives, obey your husbands as the church is subject unto Christ. And then it says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. That's the part the men don't like to read, but the women do. It says, we'd all be better off if we just read our own mail. You know, I say mail. Why mail? Because see, the letters are, uh, the, the epistles are letters written to the church. So, but it says, husbands love your wives as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. So, <clears throat> I've also talked about how it says in Matthew 21 and 22, uh, these uh, this plan that God is, Jesus is laying out 
for a restoration or bringing back to the original purpose of God such things as the priesthood. You know, uh, one time at an Elvis Presley concert, and it was in his latter days, it was in Las Vegas, and he was brought, he came out on stage, and many of the, this was in his, his last, like he said, he didn't have much longer to live after this, um, but many were saying, the king, the king, you know, calling him king of rock and roll, and the king, and he just stopped dead in his tracks, uh, maybe a poor choice of words, but he held his finger up and he says, there's only one king. And he pointed his finger up. And of course, uh, uh, Rex Humbard prayed with him before Elvis Presley, before he died, to receive Christ. And I think Elvis Presley had done that before because he came out of uh, way, way back in gospel's music, gospel music before he even got started into rock and roll. And so, uh, but see, yes, there's only one king except for one thing. He's called the king of kings. <clears throat> you can take that two ways. You can say, of all the kings there were, he's the king, you know. But what he means, the king of kings. And he is not talking about the king of like King Nebuchadnezzar, although he was the king of Nebuchadnezzar. That's not what he's talking about. The king of kings is we are uh, uh, kings and priests unto him. So we are kings under him. We are shepherds under him. We are his people. And uh, I remember Bob Mumford once saying, there's a place where it says God is a jealous God and he will have no other God before him. And so we are, uh, like I said, called to give glory to God. But Bob Mumford was talking to the Lord and he was saying that he would never, uh, I've even heard one other preacher says, I will never share in the glory or take the glory away from God because I will have no other God. I will, in the same scripture, he says, I will not share my glory with another. And so Bob Mumford was referring to that and says, but if you will not share your glory with another, I I don't want to take glory from you. And uh, he heard the Lord speak to his heart and said, but you are not another. You are bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. And then it says in Romans 8, them he justified, them he glorified. So how, what do you mean? What was that? That was talking about Adam and Eve when Eve was made and Adam says she is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh, which is also quoted in the New Testament as being a word from the Lord. Well, we are the bride of Christ. We are bone of his bone and flesh of his flesh. And so we are. Now, I'm going to read to you some things from from uh, scriptures. But before I do, 
I would be ready to put up 2 Samuel chapter 1, verse 25 and 26. 2 Samuel chapter 1, verse 25 and 26, when I tell you to. Okay, you ready, Rakesh? In this, the love of the Lord thy God, back up. In Galatians it says, the law, even the Ten Commandments, was a schoolmaster. We talked about this before. Literal translation in Galatians, it says schoolmaster in, in Galatians, but the little translation is referring to a young man who would take the kids to school. It, it was like he wasn't even a tutor, he was the one that would lead them to their classes. And so this is what Paul says about the Old Testament and the law. It was a schoolmaster, just this young man leading them to school, and the school was the Messiah, leading them to the Messiah. So that what, I put these things together, when you says the love of the Lord thy God with all thy service, heart, soul, mind, body, spirit, strength, ability, force, emotions, thoughts, will, desires, intentions, attentions, focus. And especially the second one, love thy neighbor as thyself. That's like impossible. Now, a while ago I said there's a scripture that I always found a little bit uh, in disagreement with Paul on, although I don't disagree with what I believe he means by this. But it says, love your wives as Jesus loved the church, gave himself for it. Then it says, for no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but loves it and cherishes it. You know, it's talking about feeding the flesh. And of course, you know, recently I've lost my taste for food and I found out how much my flesh really enjoyed feeding the flesh, and I found that out. But there were times in my life where I hated myself for the way I was living. I hated everything about myself, except for what, you know, I got saved in the third grade, between the third and fourth grade. And so it's, there's a part of my life that I don't hate, but what I was. And I was into drugs, I was into alcohol, I was into gambling, I was into other horrible things. You said, well, you, you, you mentioned those and you don't mention the others? Yeah, well, they, they were worse, so I don't want to talk to you about them. And uh, frequently, when I, if I did go to sleep, um, I would go to the mirror and I would look at the face in the mirror and I would say, I hate your expletive guts. I hate everything about you. And yet I did feed my flesh because I would go in and do, do things that would make me feel better about myself. But that was only a lie from the enemy. 
would make me feel what I could actually tolerate my existence. And I would, I hated myself. And I would say, if I had the courage, I would take your life. But I haven't got the guts to do that. So I did, in a sense, from my point of view. Now, when I bring this up, it says, because you, you can't love your neighbor as yourself if you don't love yourself. Now, not in a selfish manner, but in a godly manner. So the first thing, it's on the docket in order to be able to do this. Now, let's back up what I said. You know, Mark Twain once said that the two greatest times in a man's life is the time he was born and then the time he found out why. Well, if you already knew, praise the Lord. But if you don't know the time you were born, I don't know when that was. You know, in Sharon's situation, it was just a little over 40 years ago. We had her when she was a baby. Yeah. What is it about some people in aging? I don't know. Uh, they, they just uh, uh, don't seem to. My wife doesn't want to do it very well. You know, I, she, she actually maybe from from the from the way people look at it, she is aging very well. It just, um, anyways. And so, when you were born, I may not know that date. When you find out why you were born. Now we talk about everybody has a calling on their life, everybody has gifts in their life that God has given you. That's what He says in Ephesians the fourth chapter. Wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, led captivity captives. One of the first requirements of doing what I'm talking about today, you have to view yourself as a prisoner of the Lord. He led captivity captive. You were in, I was in captivity when I'd go to that mirror and say, I hate your blanking guts. But I was led into another captivity. I was led out of one captivity. I was led out of hell where my Savior got the keys of death, hell, and the grave and he took me into another captivity, into his own captivity. And now I am the prisoner of the Lord. And there isn't anything you can do that God has called you to do and be without first your perception as being a prisoner of the Lord. So he led captivity captive. And this is one of the things, see, that when Jesus is saying this right at the end, just a week before his crucifixion, while I'm thinking about it, you know, I've said study uh, John chapter 14 through 17. Because this is where he's teaching his disciples just the day before the day before he goes to the cross. John 13 is predicated. It's an understanding how he can do this because John 13, not only is where he breaks bread with them, but it's also where he washes their feet. And so Jesus is saying, This is why you were born in Matthew 22 to love God with all your heart, mind, body, soul, and strength. This is why God created you. 
This is your ultimate calling. But then you have to look at what Paul says in the Old Testament. It's impossible. It's impossible to do, to keep the, the law. You know, it's like one person says, even if you read the law itself, um, where it says, thou shalt not all these things. And then it says, and thou shalt not covet, which means you can't even want to. Jesus said that if you hate your brother without a cause, you're in dil- you're, it's the same as murder. So we're talking about something that is far more impossible than we could ever imagine. But Jesus is saying, that's why I'm going to die, is to make the impossible possible. So the first thing on the docket is you've got to believe that you can, because Jesus died for you. Now, there's more, there's more to it. Just not only is he enabling you, but by the virtue of the fact that in order to love God with all your heart, you have to know how much he loves you. You know, my, my favorite scripture, Jesus was made sin, who knew no sin, by the Father, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. We are, you have to believe that. You have to believe that you're the righteousness of God. Not because of anything you've done or ever will do, it's because of He has made you righteous because your sin was put on him. So he has enabled us to fulfill our calling. Our calling is to love God with all our heart. And he has enabled us to love our neighbor as ourselves. But you got to do the first. You have to love God with all your heart, mind, body, soul. That comes first. And then you can love your neighbor as yourself. As a matter of fact, you can love your neighbor as unto the Lord. And that's what Jesus says in Matthew 25. 24 and 25. But 25, that's where he says it. So we are to love God with all our heart, mind, body, soul. And it's impossible. But Jesus, the things that are impossible with man are possible with God. Now, the, the Bible is full of metaphors. It's understand, you know, God is speaking to us in metaphors because we live in a physical plane world. We live on a physical plane. It's like when God first created man, he created man and he had a body and he breathed into him the breath of life, his breath, and man became a living soul. So in the beginning, man had a spirit come into him first. We had a body first, then a spirit, the spirit of God come in and he became a living soul. The spirit is what ruled the body. The soul is what he ruled the body through. But when Satan came along and tempted man and he fell, what happened was man suddenly submitted to where he was no longer a spirit led led man, but a soulish led man. The soul is where the, the, the seat of the mind, the will, the emotions, the intellect, that's where the soul is. The will, the intellect, and the emotions is in the soul. And suddenly man, because he says the food looked as if it was something to be, to be eaten, it tasted something, you know, it was desirable, and he became a soulish man. 
So he started to live in this world in a soulish realm. And so the only way that man can ever go back to what Adam was first created to, to be, was a spiritual man, was through Christ. You see, because when man sinned, his spirit was separated from his soul. That's how he died. Man died. Now, it wasn't that his spirit no longer existed. It just separated from his soul. And man became a, a, living, a, a soulish man. And so Jesus died to restore us to that first uh, purpose of God. And there's many purpose of God, but they're all purpose of God. And so there are many metaphors because it's a physical realm we live in. When he, marriage is a metaphor, we're called an army. We're called sheep. We're not real sheep because sheep are smarter than we are. Real sheep. And they're the dumbest animal, you know. Actually, the turkey is the dumbest. I've been called that a lot, too. Yeah, well, chickens aren't so dumb that when it's raining outside, they walk around like this, and they'll drown in their own water going through their eyes. Now, wild turkeys, (laughs) 101 proof wild turkey. No, no, different. (laughs) Sorry. Soulish man. Wild turkeys aren't dumb, but those domesticated dummies, they're dumber than nails. You know, but we're called sheep. There are a lot of things we, we're called. You know, here's, I, I want to share this real quick, this, even though it's a little off. In Matthew, the fourth chapter, is where Jesus is tempted by the devil. And the first temptation... He says, if you're the son of God, he's tempted in the same way that Adam and Eve was tempted. He's tempted in the same way it refers to in 1 John about how all temptation comes by lust, uh, lust of the eye, lust of the flesh, and pride of life. Those are the three ways that Adam and Eve, it's the same way Jesus was tempted. He says, if you are the son of God, God's a liar then make these stones bread. And Jesus says, man should not live by bread alone. In Luke, when that is recorded, he says, make this stone bread. Is that significant? Well, in my opinion it is, because he... And one rendition of it is make this stone bread. Well, you know what? <laughs> Even though frequently when Jesus is challenged, he won't answer the challenge directly. And then he'll answer it later on. Just like in the parables in Matthew 21 and 22. You see. And so he says, make these, make these stones bread. Well, he didn't. Later on, he does. You know what stones are made, Brent? We are. We're the stones. We're the living stones. That's why he says, you know, stop these people from crying out and saying Hosanna and praising you and stuff. And he says, you know, if I stop these people from doing it, the stones would do it. And the stones do it later on. 
We're the stones, the living stone. But then he says, make this stone bread. And he was the stone. He was the rock. The rock of ages cleft for me. Let me hide myself in thee. You know, he was the stone that brought water forth in the wilderness. It says so. The metaphor, he's a stone. He's a rock. Not a real rock. Not a real stone. We're not real stones. It's a metaphor because we're in a building. So to understand when we talk about call to love the Lord our God with all our heart, these are metaphors. We are to love him with our emotions. You know, agape love encapsulates all the other loves. Encapsulates all of them, including the romantic love. Romantic love you find in the Song of Solomon. I'm going to read that in a minute, but before I do, I want us to look at this other scripture because we get locked up on, uh, you know, one of the things that I used to be accused of when I would, when I used to, which was not too long ago, yesterday maybe, um, correct people. I, I, I repent of that right now. And I would say, I would correct their grammar or something like that. And they would say, you're too technical. And I would say, the word is literal, not technical. Get your, get your, you can't even say that right. (laughs) Too literal. We miss, we miss it by becoming too literal. I mean, they're metaphors. But God is greater than the metaphors. You know, when he says, if your son asked for a, a loaf of bread, you wouldn't give him a stone, would you? If you which are love your children wouldn't do that, how much more shall your heavenly father? Now, he's a father, but he is God and he's a spirit. And he's great. If anything, he's greater than a father. And we're the church, we're the bride of Christ. This isn't a gay thing. No, I'm not a bride. Yes, I am. But it's, it, it's, it's, it's not a, a gay thing, it's a spiritual thing. Do you understand what I'm saying? And when I say one of the, one of the callings of God in our life is to have intimate relationship with Him, well, Marriage is a physical explanation of our relationship with God. But we are not male or female. Now I want you to put up uh, uh, 2 Samuel chapter 1. And uh, hold on. Get ready for verse 25. I just want to set this up first. They are... Uh, I just was reading over about the death of Saul. And Saul's the one that, while he was dying, he said, I don't want, and this is the second time somebody said this in the Bible, different reasons, but he says to his armor bearer, I don't want to let it be said that an uncircumcised Philistine killed me. So you ram my sword through me. 
and uh, and the armor bearer did. And I, that's why I said not to be like some armor bearers. <laughs> that's what I was saying to my armor bearer. But that's what he's talking about. And then later on, Jonathan is killed. And they're talking about the death of Jonathan. And David says this. How are the mighty fallen in the midst of the battle? O Jonathan, thou wast slain in thine high places. I am distressed for thee, my brother Jonathan. Very pleasant hast thou, hast thou been unto me. Thy love to me was wonderful, passing the love of women. Now you could to interpret that that, you know, David didn't have a great deal of, of uh, good fortune with the women. <laughs> You know, but that's not what he meant. You know, I, re- I had a friend, his name was Slats. Do you know what? A lot of you too young remember what slats are. Like in a bed, bed slats. They're these tiny little boards that go across, you know. Well, he wasn't called slats for no reasons. I think he weighed about 120 pounds soaking wet, you know. And so uh, one day we're uh, driving down the road and he says, you know, I'm a lover, not a fighter. But if things don't look up, up I think I'm going to have to learn how to fight. <laughs> you know, I don't think that's what David is meaning here, that women didn't love him. I think what he meant there is the, and, he, and he's not criticizing the love of women. He's just saying, trying to give a metaphor of how much he loved Jonathan. And he says, I've, I've never, mankind has never loved a woman or a woman ever loved a man as much as I love Jonathan. Now again, it's, he's a little hyperbole there, but he's, that's not his point. His point isn't criticizing the love of men and women or women and men. He's just saying, the love of him. Is it, it's not a gay thing. All right? It's a love thing. You follow me? Well, I want to talk about one of the ways that we are to love God. Just one of all those things that I've read. Just one. One that we don't pay enough attention to. I know this, or I can't judge for you, but for me, I just realized this in studying this recently. How much, how little I've paid attention to this. So I'm going to read to you the one book in the Bible, or the one, you know, one of the books in the Bible that is most important when we look at romantic love. Because that's what it's talking about, man, men and woman. As the bride of Christ and our bridegroom is Jesus. And that's the Song of Solomon. Now I'm going to read to you. You can take this off, please. Because I'm going to read to you out of... uh, Take that off real quick. Siri is going to come on and start asking me questions. All right. This is um, Song of Solomon out of a translation that I've only recently, within the last uh, four or five months, been 
pointed to, and I'm really loving this translation. It's called the uh, TPT translation. Uh, the T the P Passion T translation. The Passion translation. And I I really like it. And it's uh, it's in the New Testament, and in the you know uh, Psalms, Proverbs, Song of Solomon, and Ecclesiastes. Only it's, that's the only ones in the Old Testament that this translation is. And it's a red letter translation. I like red letter translation. You know, every word from God is pure. You know, the whole Bible. It's every word from God. But I just like the words that are of Jesus. And I say that because I want you to show some. This is starts off with, and it divides it into, this is the bridegroom king. Look what it's in. Can you see it? What's it in? Red. That's because this is a red letter translation, and the words of Jesus are in red. So this is, first thing it's showing is this is the words of Jesus. All right? Now this is the word of the bridegroom talking to the bride. The, sh- the bride is the Shulamite woman. <clears throat> and so this is what he says. Before I do, I want, you to, I want you to listen to this from the perspective that this is Jesus talking to you. If you know Christ as your Lord and your Savior, this is Him talking to you. If you don't, don't leave here it's kind of like the American Express card. Don't leave here without it. Don't leave here without him. And so this is the bridegroom talking to you. Say to me. That's right. You got that one. Listen, my dearest darling. You are so beautiful. You are beauty itself to me. Did you hear that? You know, I I automatically think of us singing to the Lord, you're beautiful. But this says you are beauty itself. You are the embodiment of beauty. That's That's how Jesus sees you and us as the body of Christ. Your eyes glisten with love like gentle doves behind your veil. What devotion I see each time I gaze upon you. You are like a sacrifice ready to be offered. That's interesting because Jesus is the sacrifice. Now he's saying we look like the sacrifice ready to be offered. When I look at you, I see how you have taken my fruit and tasted my word. Taste and see the Lord is good. If so be, 1 Peter 2, 5, if so be that we have tasted that the Lord is gracious. Taste him. Uh, Many times in this book, it talks about tasting. And it says... When I look at you, I see how you have taken my fruit and tasted my word. Your life has become clean and pure. 
like a lamb washed and newly shorn. This is full of metaphors. If you don't appreciate what, why, why God is trying to say something in this particular case to us to get us, stir us in our heart with a picture. And if you take some of those pictures, I'm like, you're saying I look like a lamb. No, no, you're missing the point. You're missing it. Okay. <clears throat> you now show grace and balance with truth on display. Your lips are as lovely as Rahab's scarlet ribbon. Do you guys know what Rahab's scarlet ribbon was? The scarlet scarf she hung out her window at Jericho and God spared her and her entire family. That scarlet ribbon, it says in other place, is a figure of the blood of Jesus Christ. See, there's another metaphor. But then it says, God says, my lips are beautiful like the scarlet ribbon of Jericho, of Rahab. It says, uh, your lips are lovely like Rahab's scarlet ribbon, speaking mercy, speaking grace. The words of your mouth are as refreshing as an oasis. I have, since been studying this, and recently have gone to the Lord believing that my words are refreshing to Him as an oasis. You know what refreshing as an oasis means? When you come up on an oasis, it's because you've been in a desert. And when you've been in a desert, you're thirsty. And when you're thirsty, that water really is sweet. And this is what God is saying to you. Your words, your words are like, uh, are like, excuse me, the words of your mouth are as refreshing, as refreshing to God. Can God, you know, a while ago we, we read scripture or had scriptures read to us from Psalm 50, which says, if I was hungry, I wouldn't tell you, <laughs> you know, and I thought, yeah, that's true. But he is telling us that our words are like refreshing water from an oasis. That he can be refreshed. God? God? Of the universe? Huh! How dare you say such... I didn't say it, he did. He said, my words can refresh him. Well, I knew his words could refresh me, but I didn't know mine could refresh him. I hope you're beginning to see how much God loves you and regards you and, and sees you so that you, you can. This, this, is, this is, like I said, your love for him is predicated on your understanding of his love for you. Hello? What pleasure you bring to me. I see your blushing cheeks. Open like the halves of a pomegranate. Showing through your veil of tender, of tender meekness. 
uh, open like a pomegranate, showing through your veil of tender meekness. When I look at you, I see your inner strength, so stately and strong. You know, it's like the song in Greece, tell me more, tell me more. You know, my mother used to say to me, whisper sweet nothings in my ear. I didn't realize she was actually quoting from a Brenda, Brenda Lee song, you know. Sweet nothings, whisper sweet nothings in my ear. I see your inner strength so stately and strong. You are as secure as David's fortress. Your virtues and grace cause a thousand famous soldiers to surrender to your beauty. (laughs) Boy, I could get a big head from this. A thousand soldiers surrendering to my beauty. Hmm. That's kind of like launching a thousand ships, huh? Your pure faith and love rest over your heart as you nurture those who are your infants or yet infants. The Shulamite, that's us. We're the bride. I have made up my mind. Until the darkness disappears and the dawn, the dawn has fully come, in spite of the shadows and the fears, I will go to the mountaintop with you. Whew. Do you get that? Man, I want to... In the earlier chapter, I was tempted to read about the other earlier chapter when she says, I woke up and I couldn't found my love. And I said to myself, I should have never let him go. And I left there and I began to look for him. And I went out into the streets. They didn't have street lights. They didn't even have gas lights. They didn't have any lights. They didn't have oil lamps in the streets. They just had watchmen walking around without flashlights. And if they found you, they want to know why you were out. And they came across you, came and said, have you found the, the one I've loved? And then I found him and I said, I'm never going to let you go again. I will climb to the mountaintop with you. I'll do, I'll, I'll do anything with you. I will climb up to the mountaintop with you, the mountain of suffering love. Where'd that come from? Wait a minute, I don't like that word, suffer. That Paul says that I may know the suffering of his, the fellowship of his suffering. In Philippians. I will go to the mountain of suffering love and the hill of burning incense. Yes, I will be your bride. The bridegroom king. Every part of you is so beautiful, my darling. Perfect is your beauty without flaw within. Now you are ready, my bride, to come to me, to come to me uh, as we climb the highest peaks together. Come with me through the archway of trust. We will look down. 
from the crest of the glistening mountains and from the summit of the sublime sanctuary, together we will wage war. Talk about waging war against his enemies? No, we will wage war in the the love of life against the real enemy, which we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Together we will wage war in the lion's den, in the leopard's lair, and they will watch nightly for their prey. For you reach into my heart with one flash of your eyes. I am undone by your love. This is the bridegroom talking to you. With one flash of my eyes, he is undone by my love. Man, you see how easy this should be making you to love the Lord with all your heart, mind, body, soul, and strength? Let's see, where was I? I keep moving my thing around. You, let's see, oh, oh, I don't want to forget this one. With one flash of your eyes, I am undone by your love. My beloved, my equal. Did you hear that? My equal. Jesus is talking to you, the bride of Christ. My equal. Do you want me to bring people up here and read this to show you I'm not pulling something over on you here? God calling me his equal. Whoa. Man. Wow. My equal. My bride. You leave me breathless. Jesus saying, Don, you leave me breathless. Wow. If that doesn't humble you, I don't know. You're not getting it. I am overcome by merely a glance from your worshiping eyes. You know, one of my favorite groups younger in my younger days, much, much younger days, was a group called Bread. And I often wondered if the reason they call their group bread because, was because David Gates, I think, may have been a Christian. I don't know that for sure. But boy, some of his songs really represent some most uh, beautiful lyrics. For example, you know, I've shared this before. Uh, I would give anything I own. I would give everything I own just to have you back again. You might remember that it was a number one hit song on the, you know, on the top pop radio and David Gates says I wrote that about my my uh, father when he passed away he says you can take a little love song if you want to but I wrote it about my dad you know another beautiful song I think one of the most beautiful love songs I'd put it in my top five most beautiful love pop songs of the 20th century is the word is the song if if a picture paints a thousand words, then why can I paint you? The love I've, the, the, the you I've come to know is, is not worthy to be painted or talked about. 
If a man could be two places at one time, I'd be with you. Tomorrow and today, beside you all the way. If the world stopped revolving, spinning, slowly down to die, I'd spin the end with you. And when this world was through, and one by one, the stars would all go out, and you and I would simply fly away. But here's the one I like the best. When my love, and when my love of life is running dry, you come and pour yourself on me. What? Did you catch that? When my love of life is running dry, you come and pour yourself on me. Wow. When your love of life is running dry, let God pour himself on you. When your love of life is running dry, go to the Lord and pour yourself on him. I was just reading the scripture. I can't remember the address. I, I should have memorized it. The scripture we say, in him we live and move and have our being. Amen. You leave me breathless. I am overcome. A merely glance of your worshiping eyes, for you have stolen my heart. I am held hostage by your love. The Lord speaking to you, you're, he's held hostage by your love and by the graces of righteousness shining upon you. How satisfying to me, my equal, again, my bride. Your love is my finest wine, intoxicating and thrilling, and your sweet perfumed praises, so exotic, so pleasing. Your loving words are like a honeycomb to me. Psalm 19 says God's word is like a honeycomb to us. Here he's saying to us, our loves are sweet to him. Our words are sweet to him and a honeycomb to him. Your tongue releases milk and honey. For I find the promised land flowing within you. See, he, he's, we, he's brought us into the promised land, the, the land of rest. He's saying that we are his promised land. The fragrance of your worshiping love surrounds you with scented robes of white. My darling bride, my private paradise, fastened to my heart. A secret spring are you that no one else can have. My bubbling fountain hidden from public view. What a perfect partner to me now that I have you. You, your inward life is now sprouting, bringing forth fruit. What a beautiful paradise unfolds within you. When I am near you, I smell aromas of the finest spice for many clusters of my exquisite fruit now grow within your inner garden. I don't hate to ruin this for you. He's talking about sex here. Again, this is a metaphor. Here are the nine pomegranate. Here are the nine. Pomegranates of passion, henna from heaven, spikenard so sweet, 
saffron shining, fragrance calamus from the cross, sacred cinnamon, branches of scented woods, myrrh like tears from a tree, and aloe as eagles ascending. Your life flows into mine, pure as a garden spring, a well of living water springs up from within you like a mountain brook flowing into my heart. Jesus is saying that to us. Wow. Wow. Yes, that's chapter four, by the way. Shulamite bride, then may our awake, then may your awakening breath blow upon my life until I am fully yours. Breathe upon me with your spirit wind. Stir up the sweet spice of your life within me. Spare nothing as you make me your fruitful garden. Hold nothing back until I release your fragrance. Come, walk with me as you walk with Adam in the paradise garden. Come, taste the fruits of your life within me. The bridegroom, I have come to you, my darling bride, for you are my paradise garden. The bride, come walk with me until I'm fully yours. Come taste the fruits of your life in me. Chapter 4. Now read the rest of it. And hey, it says the same things in the other translations, just in different words. Does God love you? He doesn't, he, the, the love that he's called us to love him with, all of this, he's loved us with service. He washed the disciples' feet. He loved us with heart, soul, mind, body, spirit, strength, ability, force, emotions, thoughts, will, intentions, desires. Ah. And he wants us to say, he wants each of us to say, and he said to us through David and, and Jonathan. You know, Jonathan is a figure of Christ. David is a figure of us. Why did I say that? Because Jonathan made two covenants with David. He initiated both covenants. Jonathan was the rightful heir. He gave it to David as king. And David says, no man has ever loved a woman, no woman has ever loved a man as much as I love Jonathan. That's what God wants from us. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord. Oh, God, thank you, Lord. We've been born, and this is what we were created for, to love you with all our hearts, with all our being, everything that is in us, every cell of our body. We could be two places at one time. 
I just want to be with you. I don't want to be someplace else. I just want to be with you, Lord. And when your love for life is running dry, I want to come and pour myself on you. And when my love for life is running dry, I want you to pour yourself on me. I want to be your bride.